When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. I'm Maggie Lake. Here with me today is Dave Floyd of Aspen Trading. We are going to talk about some key levels Dave's watching in the market. But first, Samuel Burke brings us up to date on the latest in Europe, where it's feeling like deja vu all over again. Maggie, on the very same day of Morgan Stanley report, advised investors to resist buying U.S. treasuries and equities and instead focus their attention on European markets. There is some rather unwelcome news here in Europe where we're facing a fresh COVID wave. Now, perhaps the most surprising news came from UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson saying that there is a possibility or at least that he's open to the possibility of a lockdown in the winter. This is something that UK markets could not have baked in because this is a prime minister who's been quoted as saying that he was dead set against ever going into another COVID lockdown. Now, to be clear, he said that the numbers currently don't show that that's warranted, but he did say they can't take anything off the table. Now, on Monday in Germany, new rules went into effect with this fresh wave that limit the uh, movement and the participation of unvaccinated people in public life, restaurants and nightclubs. But perhaps the most controversial measure was in Austria, where a lockdown began for initially 10 days, uh, where unvaccinated people are not allowed the same freedom of movement as vaccinated folks. Now, these unvaccinated people will be allowed to go to work and for groceries, but are really limited in many other aspects of public life. The DAX, the FTSE, and the CAC all ended the day in the green, but these measures and these signals from governments and actions from governments really raise questions about the pressure that people could face on their movement, the supply chain, which is already strained, and of course, what would result uh, on markets and the type of stress that it could put all across Europe. Maggie? Great report from Samuel, and it, it is kind of ironic Dave, that, um, uh, you know, we have people recommending European equities and then all of a sudden, you know, you start getting this negative headline risk. Not much of a reaction, but it just kind of shows the environment we're in. So if we take a look here on the U.S. side, uh, equities ending uh, a little bit mixed, marginally lower across the board, although the S&P 500 did um, pop into positive or creep back into positive territory, um, bond yields moving up across the yield curve. How are you kind of feeling about the U.S. markets as we start this new week? Well, I came into today's session, um, you know, generally with the trend from last week, which was bullish, but I wanted to make sure that the 4681 level at least held, again, on a short-term basis. It, it didn't represent a level that, you know, was going to usher in some extreme bear market, but it might usher in a period of weakness for, you know, a few days. We did break below that level this morning and we dropped, you know, pretty decently, you know, for, on a short term basis. But as you noted, we kind of rallied right back to that into the close. And I find that constructive despite the news out of Europe, despite the news that bonds are once again negative, yields are higher. And once again, Tesla is lower. So a lot of the, the things you would associate with dragging indices lower 
didn't really do that. But you know, given the way the indexes trade nowadays, sometimes the peripheral um, news events don't always impact it perfectly in terms of correlations. Yeah, you know, Dave, this is a seasonally strong time of year. Do we expect that's going to be the case again? Are we going to kind of get support on these dips because of that? Well, you're right. I mean, seasonally, the market is usually strong. A lot of the quantitative data that I look at suggests we will be strong into the close, meaning closing of 2021. Um, you know, I just try to be objective in terms of price levels. I mean, there is a lot of information that we can all take in on any given day and come up with many, many different scenarios. And over the, over the years, I've, I've just found that that's one really challenging to do and oftentimes leads you down down a path that's maybe too subjective. So for me, it's all about price levels. If price levels hold, I make the assumption that prices will continue in the path of least resistance, which at this point is still up, even though it seems to defy odds, it gets yeah. to scratch their heads. But I'm just looking at price action because trying to short this market's been a real challenge unless your timing has been impeccable. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think that maybe that's what has people nervous, you know, because there, as you say, there are lots of reasons you can find people are looking at some big profits in individual stocks. I want to dig into Tesla in a moment, but do you look at things like breath? A lot of people have ta been talking about the fact that, you know, so much of the action seems concentrated in a few stocks. And some of those stocks um, have had really enormous moves. If you look at things like NVIDIA, you know, that makes some people nervous. Other people, you know, you don't even get consensus on that. Do things like breath in the market matter to you as you're looking at technicals? What what are you looking at to make you feel like things are constructive for the S&P 500? You know, for me, it's really just about relying on the levels themselves within the indices that I'm watching or the individual markets that I'm trading. Mm -hmm. I get the understanding or I get the, the, the question about, hey, you know, the breadth isn't supportive of the overall index, but there's a lot of things that happen underneath. You know, you've got a lot of passive flows coming into the market, and those flows go into only a handful of stocks. So that mm -hmm. continues to drive the index. And regardless of what the rest of the S&P 500 is doing, if all that money is going into the top 10 or so names in the index, guess what? The index is going to go higher regardless mm -hmm. because the passive money is, is basically, you know, price agnostic. It's put the money to work regardless of valuations, regardless of everything else. Yeah, no, and it's been so hard to fight that trend, uh, you yep. know, e even if you, you're you really convicted about your call. Uh, let's talk about the action in Tesla, because yeah. you know this is one of those stocks for people who are nervous about the market and the fact that there's so much activity concentrated in a few stocks that, yeah. uh, you know, it, it's just hard for them to wrap their head around. This was a big move for this stock. It's down again today. That brings a big move if you let, look back to last week when Elon started selling. Are you surprised that the overall markets held up so well, considering what's happening with Tesla? Well, yeah, that's quite interesting. And I think that's kind of uh, something that we we need to, to focus on. Uh, we've had a big move, you know, 20% or so off the highs. Um, 1032 last week was a very, very key level, and it's a key level again this week. And we did finally break below, and we've held below it now on a couple of uh, clo daily closes. Now, you would think, given the, how Tesla is basically, you know, seen as, one, seen as one of the drivers of the S&P, you would think that would have weighed on the S&Ps, but it hasn't. Yeah. So again, one other wrinkle that, that traders have to deal with. But I think we'd all be remiss if we weren't watching Tesla here, because at some point, if Tesla does continue to move lower, and based on the way I read it, you know, if we get below, below 987, 
it's entirely possible to head down towards 800. Um, that wouldn't be out of the question. If that did happen, and I'm not saying it would, but it's possible yeah. based on the technical levels that have been broken, at some point, the S&Ps may get weighed down by that. So I think if you are bullish on the S&Ps and are playing it that way, please keep an eye on Tesla. That could be the canary in the coal mine. Yeah. And, you know, uh, there, we... we... We don't know, but there's the possibility that we are going to see downward pressure. I mean, uh, Elon Musk has these options that that have to be exercised before August 22, uh, 2022. So, you know, there is the possibility it may not be right now, but there is the possibility out there that that we, we may see continued selling. I guess the question is, do you get enough people coming in who see this as an opportunity who've been shut out? Normally, when you look at a big move like that, you would say, oh, okay, those people are going to come in. But with Tesla, the value, there's so much disagreement about the overall valuations. Does that make it hard to look at from a technical perspective? Does it look different when you when you see a stock like Tesla that's run up so much? Yes and no. Um, leaving the valuation uh, equation aside, because it's not what I use. And, you know, again, there's many different ways to value this. And Talk about being objective, that, by the way. That's when it comes to Tesla. So few people are, you know, you have the hardcore people who feel so strongly about that yeah. stock and about Elon. And then you have others that just, you know, are on the exact opposite page. So it, it, it would to apply that discipline here has got to be tough. Exactly. And again, that's why I try to just you know stick with what's happening in the market, because where prices trade is you know the best information. If, if people are willing to buy a stock at a particular level and drive it higher, that's the, all the information you need to know, at least in my in my world, you know, in terms of a swing trading perspective. And let's also think let's also think about this. We have a whole new generation of traders and investors who've known nothing but buy the dip and they've never or I should say very rarely do they get their hand slapped. And you know, good for them. That's a very different mindset than when I came up through the ranks as a trader, whereas buying the dips wasn't always automatically rewarded. There was a little bit more of a give and take in the market at that time. We're, we have very different market dynamics now, and I think it's really important that, you know, let's say people that are, let's say 40 and older, um, try to maybe discount some of the things that they used to look at and they used to rely upon because Markets are always changing. Now we have a whole new cast of you know, traders and investors in there who view these things very differently. And to, to ignore that is to kind of ignore that at your own peril. Yeah. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. I, I want to reiterate a question from Yo-Yo here because you mentioned it, but I just want to want to be clear because I, you know, so many people do have positions in Tesla, especially if they have positions and and are involved in the options market or have any kind of margins on this. It's going to be really important for them to pay yeah. very close attention to what happens. Yo-Yo asks if Elon sells another twelve billion worth of stock, then where do you see the stock going down to? I might rephrase it and just say, can you reiterate the levels that are going to be really important? And, and what would you be looking at on the downside to worry about an accelerated move beyond that? Let me address the first part of the question with my quote unquote professional opinion. I don't think it's possible to know what the impact of anything is in terms of somebody selling shares or 
what an earnings miss might be because there's so many different interpretations. That's the subjectivity of the market. And I think that's where it catches a lot of people off. And you come in with a very strong opinion, but opinions are just that. Unless everybody else in the market has that opinion, it doesn't really matter. That's why I go back to price levels. If we can know where prices have traded with a high degree of frequency and where prices are sticky, is I think the best word, that's where we know where the market's going to have a reaction. So if we if we look at my screens right now, to me, it's very clear. It doesn't mean that it's going to play out exactly, but it's going to play out pretty close to it. For me, 1032 is the line in the sand right now. As long as we remain below 1032, I think we have downside risk to 987. And if we get below 987, we're on our way to the low 800s. That's as far as I would take it out. What causes that? Don't know. Meaning, is there right. some catalyst or news event? Maybe, maybe not. Maybe it's just good old-fashioned selling because 1032 and 987 represented areas where people bought a boatload of stock and now they are underwater. And guess what? They're liquidating it or they're long a bunch of call options or they're short a bunch of call options, whatever the case may be. Now they're getting calls. That's the way I look at the market. I try to be as binary as possible and as objective. I don't care what caused the event. I just want to know where prices may have that inflection point. No, that, that that I think that's so helpful, and and you know, signpost it for for um, you know our audience who's looking at this. It's a good way for them to put their emotions to the side, look at those levels, and pay attention, and make sure they're disciplined around it. Especially again, if they are active in the options markets and need to um, to think about repositioning themselves and protecting themselves. Um, if we start to get into that territory. So I think that's so helpful. We have a question. I'm going to jump to another area of the market. We have sure. a question from Ralph. What's your view of DXY? Ah, dollar index, uh, bullish. Again, going back to the, you know, the, the tried and true technical levels that I look at, uh, last week was was pretty clear. We 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 broke, last week we broke, broke above 94.23. And as you can see on the chart here, this is the dollar index, eight hour chart. Uh, we're we're moving higher again. I don't want to try to get in front of this. Once these levels are taken out, now we start to push to the to the next series of levels above here. Um, and once we took out ninety, basically let's call it ninety five. It was actually ninety four eighty eight. Once we took out that, um, you know, we're off to the races. So there's no reason in my mind right now to be bearish the dollar. Um, to me, the the not only is the trend up. But we've cleared out several key technical levels that indicate you should be short the euro, you should be short Aussie dollar, Kiwi dollar, long dollar yen, long dollar CAD. That's the way I see it. Yeah, interesting. I, I'm, I'm going to return to that on the Canadian dollar in a second. But it's very interesting, especially for people who are investing in commodities. We know a lot of uh, a lot of our viewers have been playing in the metals market. They've been looking mm -hmm. at commodities. Um, throughout the last few months, I caught up with Ms. Schneider, who's a long history, uh, started out as a commodity trader, and she's so good in those areas. And she was giving her outlook for uh, for silver and gold, particularly, especially with all the noise we've been seeing on the inflation front. Let's have a listen. So first of all, in terms of gold and silver, yes, both of the metals are finally going up and they're both hitting into resistance. We can see that mm -hmm. silver in particular went right up today to the 50-week moving average, which it hasn't been over in a long time. But what's key to me and what I've noticed now for quite some time is that what us old-time commodity traders look at is the ratio 
between silver and gold. And historically, when silver starts to outperform gold, and if you look back at charts from, let's say, 1979, that's really when you start to see the precious metals ripe for some sort of parabolic move. And that's what we're anticipating. We're long silver. We actually didn't buy the gold this time. And, you know, you always wish you had more when things are going up, of course. But we were very happy with our silver position. We've been in it for a while. We actually took a little profit today against that resistance. Because even though the silver is outperforming the gold, we have seen now a situation where it's a buy weakness, sell strength environment for a lot of the commodities, not just silver and gold, but even some of these food commodities. And when that flips, when we start to see buyers into strength, that's really when I think things can get really interesting. And you uh, can see that full interview. And we really spanned almost all the markets. It was so much fun. You can see that on uh, Pro and Plus tiers. Uh, so Dave, Mish thinks it's going to get interesting when it comes to silver and gold. It already has been. What are you seeing? Well, again, um, I'm not looking at the actual individual commodities. I don't trade them, but I certainly keep an eye on the, the underlying ETFs, which would be GLD and SLV. And they do a pretty darn good job of tracking the underlying instruments and both of them are bullish. I mean, silver is more bullish than gold, you know, marginally so. But, you know, for me, gold above, let's call it 175, it's actually 174.84. I think we we move higher. We may pull back a little bit over the next couple of days. We've had a pretty hell we've had a hell of a good run over the last couple of days. Yeah. But, you know, as long as the 171, maybe even 173.70, but certainly 171 level holds, looks like we're going higher which is really interesting because gold's moving higher with the dollar index, which is a very, very weird uh, correlation to see. Normally they've been inversely correlated, at least historically speaking. Uh, that doesn't seem to be the case right now, but again, that's where you get yourself into trouble um, by going, well, if gold is moving higher, I better be short the dollar. And sometimes that's correct, but if the price action is telling you opposite, just let it be that. You don't have to be, you know, the, the, the most intelligent person in the crowd there. They're, they're, those are the people that are usually left behind. Just trade the price action. Yeah, I'm so glad you said that because that's exactly what one would think, you know, if you're looking at it historically, that that is problematic if you're in some of those commodity trades. Are there any particular crosses on the dollar that you're most interested in? You mentioned a whole bunch of them right before, before we played that clip. Well, you know, the pure play is, you know, if you're if you're bullish the dollar index, the easiest pure play there is to be short the euro. Um, I like being short the Aussie dollar and the Kiwi dollar, although they did have a pretty good sell off last week. So I might look to kind of sell into any any rallies they have. But again, I keep my focus pretty limited. I don't get into too many, um, you know, a whole litany or a whole list of currencies. Mm -hmm. I keep focus on the euro, Aussie dollar, Kiwi dollar, euro sterling. And um, that's pretty much it. Oh, and dollar yen. Um, I do like dollar yen long, been long for a while now, or meaning for me a while, it's like about a week and a half. But as, as treasury yields continue to move higher, dollar yen moves higher. You could also just make the same case with the Canadian dollar, Japanese yen cross. And again, technically speaking, they held really rock solid support levels. In fact, if I pull up a chart of CAD yen right here, just a beautiful setup here. So if interest rates continue to move higher and maybe if you know um, the, the momentum really gets going, we, we held down here at 9040 and we're starting to move higher. So that's what I'm keeping an eye on currency land. And of course, the S&Ps, we know that 4681 is really the, really the key level for this week. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. 
Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Yeah, we have a question from James. Uh, at what stage do passive inflows change? What scenarios can lead to this? A tough question. Well, it depends. I mean, does it mean that the, the passive inflows, inflows slow down or do the passive inflows become outflows? And obviously those are completely different events. Mike Green did an amazing interview, oh, probably going back two years now with Raul on the whole concept of, of passive investing and you know, ultimately the problems that could arise from that. We haven't seen that yet, but you know, at some point you'd have to think that all these flows going into the same stocks day after day, month after month, might reach a, a point of, you know, you, you just can't crowd in, or more importantly, what happens when everybody wants to liquidate or, or a large percentage of people want to liquidate? Are there enough buyers on the way down? Because the discretionary buyers have been kind of sidelined. They're not even in the market anymore on some level. So who's going to be the value players, you know, sitting on bids as people want to hit those bids? And the question might be, or the answer might be, well, there may not be any, which could be more, you know, kind of flash crash you know, type price action scenario. So I'm not sure that addresses the question, but for me- Oh, the- I think it does. I think it does. And and it's it echoes what I've been hearing, you know, on a pretty much a daily basis, the concern building around that. Um, is it something that you're actively worried about? And I don't know if people understand, but why wouldn't there be any buyers? I mean, are, you know, are those, is, does the market just not operate like that anymore because the passive invest- investing has just taken over? Well, that that's what Mike Mike Green put forward. Again, I'm borrowing what he what he suggested, and I found it quite interesting. And his premise was is that in 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 a period where we've had just relentless passive indexing, that yeah. you've got a lot of the discretionary, let's say the value buyers, they're not in the market anymore. They've folded up shop, or you yes. know, they've been greatly reduced in numbers, and as a result. Those would be the guys and the gals that when prices dip, whether it be just a simple correction or some sort mm-hmm. of a massive sell-off, they were there at lower levels saying, I love this stock at this level. Give me all you can. Mm-hmm. Mike's argument is those people aren't there anymore. Yeah. So who is going to be on the bid? Yeah. Because if, if you suddenly go from passive inflows to passive outflows and there's nobody on the bids, I think we all know what the answer is. Yeah, we got to find a natural buyer, and who knows what what level that could be. And 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 listen, that when it was on the when it was passive on the upside, it was all great, right? Nobody really looked under the covers and really cared about what that composition looked like because you know everyone's funds were going up. It's on the downside that 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 lack of buyer really matters, and it's something that that hasn't really you know been examined, or it's a you know it, it's a theory and it's a it's a damn good one, but it's a scary one if it actually comes your fruition because I don't know that the market has the sort of technical capabilities to to know how to, how to operate on something like that. I mean the trading curves aren't going to hold forever, you know, no, to bring the no. to, to bring the human aspect in, which is what they were put there for. So, you know, I think it's something that we we all have to be paying attention to. We have a question from Mashu. What's Dave's view on small caps going into 2022? Again, just look at the charts. You know, I'll I'll go to IWM. I'll just use IWM as a proxy, which is the um, Russell 2000 ETF. Um, I'll 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 push this out to let's say a four-hour chart or maybe a daily chart here. 
Uh, co very constructive, at least for now. Um, you know, I think dipping below 238 could be a little bit problematic, but again, that's on a, on a near-term basis. So you're asking going out into 2022. Mm. I would say if we get back into this range, if we go back below 228, that purple line is what, what I would consider a longer-term support level, meaning it's it's factoring in far more price data and far more trade frequency than is something like the green lines, which is more of a higher frequency type support and resistance level. So I think that but the proper answer in this context would be 228. And I think most people could look at that and say, well, geez, that's kind of obvious because that's where we've been trading or that's where that's where the congestion was. And that is true, but that would be an arbitrary measurement. You could just draw a little trend line in here and say, hey, that's where it broke out from. I'm looking at this mathematically. That is actually where price action took place a lot of times over a long period of time. Therefore, that's a very objective mathematically based level. So I think when we break below that, then prices could get a little, little dicey to the downside. Yeah. Is there is there anything, you know, any one of your charts or anything that you're tracking that that you've um, things seem pretty constructive on a lot of them. Is there anything that that turned worrying for you that you, that you've had a real a real change on or a real change of strategy around? Last time you were on, I think we talked about it, the Arc Innovation Fund was one of the things you were looking at. Is there anything yeah. that you you're less constructive on right now well, that you we know, ought to be paying kinda, attention to? Yeah, I'll pull up the Arc chart real quick, but I'll go on to I'll answer your question with what I think everybody should be watching, but. You know, ARC's basically been kind of a big nothing for the last several months. It just, it's been oscillating back and forth. So I'm not really sure I'm going to get too much insights from that. I mean, there are some key levels. We go below 106 or 105.95, which that level was there back in early October. No surprise that we rallied from there. Maybe it's a surprise as how much we rallied. Um, but unless we get back above 123.38, which is this line right up here, yeah, I think we're just back into the neutral chop zone. So I think Arc's lost it. Arc, I'm sorry, Arc has lost its effectiveness of being a barometer unless some of these key levels break down. But to go back and answer your question directly, for me, it, it's always boils down to the fixed income market. That's quote unquote where the the smart money is. That's where the mm. price of money is established each minute, each day, each month. And all you see on this price chart here, I'm going to go to a four hour chart taking a little bit more uh, data, um, you see prices moving lower. The bond market's obviously concerned about inflation. Now, maybe they're not concerned about inflation, but they're concerned about something. And that's where I love looking at price levels. I don't have to worry about what's the inflation data, what's this. I just need to know that if we break down through some of these levels, it's probably not gonna be very good. And ultimately, when you get rates at you know one and three quarters, 2% on the 10-year note, that has to allow for an adjustment as to how equities are valued. And again, I'm not going to go into that mental gymnastics in my overall trading. I just know at some point it will matter. Hasn't really mattered yet, but I'm, you know, bond market can't keep selling off and have equities continue to go the other way. Maybe it can, but again, I put that in the back of my mind going, as long as, as, long as the 10-year notes are selling off, I can be an optimistic bull, but man, I better be ready to head for the exits because... This is the kind of thing that could really tip the scales in favor of a bearish move in the S&Ps. And that is very good cautionary advice for us to end on. Dave, always a pleasure. So great to have you on. Thanks a lot, Matt. You really appreciate it. Thanks for the insight.
You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.